بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد الکریم الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا ٹوینٹی ایٹ آف ان دا ایئر ٹو the blessed and exalted life of the eminent companion Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu and I've reached the point where I've mentioned that he's embraced the glorious faith but he's keeping his faith hidden so the next section is entitled the memorable first recital of the glorious book to the then unbelieving Quraysh subhanallah It was not long thereafter that Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud in a most memorable and courageous way exposed his own iman to the then unbelieving Quraysh polytheists. This remarkable act of bravery was probably ignited from the fact, as just mentioned, that prior to this he had seen no other than our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa being viciously attacked at the same holy spot and he as mentioned being powerless to help at the time so this narration is recorded in Ibn Ishaq Ibn Hisham in his seerah page 151 to 152 of the New English Translation Tabri in his tarikh 2-3-4-5 Hafiz Ibn Al-Atir in his Asad Al-Ghaba 3-3-5-6 Qurtubi in his tafsir 7-147 and Shaykh Maududi in his tafsir volume 13 page 297-8 of the English translation. Urwa ibn Zubair he said the first one to recite the Quran aloud in Makkah after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu so stop in the report. So this is a great honor for ibn Mas'ud The one who openly first recited the Quran was of course the Prophet to the unbelievers. But then in Makkah around the Kaaba it was Ibn Mas'ud. One day the companions of Rasulullah gathered together and they said to each other by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the men of the Quraysh have never heard this Quran being recited aloud in front of them. Those who now amongst you could cause them to hear it. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud now thought it was finally time I to expose his iman. And he bravely said, I will. So, stop in the report. So, what does this mean? The companions, they said, the Quraysh have not heard the Quran being recited aloud. And the reason is because The faith had just gone public. But to recite the Quran around the Kaaba is really asking for a death warrant. But they still considered this to be a duty. So of all of the Sahab, the most frailest or one of the most frailest in physical physicality, he goes, I will do it. They responded in surprise. We fear them for you. 
we would like a man of a clan, i.e. from the Quraysh, to protect him from their harm, if they intended to harm him, i.e. and you have just allied yourself to one of them. So, he wasn't from the Quraysh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud So obviously he didn't have protection, he was an ally. So the companion said, somebody who's from the Quraysh, who a, tribal, a tribe could protect, it would be better. So Ibn Masood responded, allow me, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect me. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Masood then went in the forenoon to the maqam of Ibrahim والسلام, whilst the men of the Quraysh were in the assemblies. So what time did he choose? He chose the, the mid-morning. And the reason he chose that time was because all the Quraysh chiefs, that was the time of the assembly. He thereupon stood in front of the maqam and he started to recite Surah Ar-Rahman. So now this is very important to highlight. So we learn from this, Surah Ar-Rahman had been revealed. So this is one of the early Makkan surahs. It's also very important to point out that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, his voice was like Jibreel's, which we'll mention at the relevant time. So when he's reciting, you shouldn't get this impression, he's reciting like a normal Qari. His recitals literally are of this world. And he chooses Surah Ar-Rahman. Why? Because the Quraysh had a problem with that name. Because who's Ar-Rahman? When they were signing the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. So there's many reasons, but this is some. So he started reciting. They thereupon cast a glance at him, and they wondered, what is he uttering? Then upon hearing further, they said, he is reciting some of what was brought to Muhammad. They thereupon darted towards him, beating him on his face. But he continued reciting and he reached what Allah the Almighty willed him to recite. So obviously, he's not from the Quraysh, he's a shepherd. So they thought, you know, what's this? Who's this upstart? So straight away they launched into him and the report mentions they literally, you know, battered him. And he continued reciting until he probably lost consciousness. It is stated that Abu Jahl was the most vicious in his beating. Mm. After the vicious assault, he returned, battered and bruised, back to the companions with the traces of beating visible on his face. Mm. They responded upon seeing him. This is what we feared for you. Why did you do this? He responded, By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have never been more insignificant in my sight than they are now. If you wish, I will do the same tomorrow. They responded, no, that is enough. You have indeed caused them to hear what they did not like. Subhanallah. So what happened? He comes back, imagine the stay he's in. And they said, because we expected this, why did you do it? They weren't expecting his response he said they were so small in my sight he goes i'll do it again tomorrow he goes you've done enough because you've made them hear the quran 
Subhanallah, his act of bravery is increased more so, for as already mentioned, he was frail of body and he had no tribe to protect him. So it's easy saying it now, sitting comfortably in the masjid. But how do you put this in a modern scenario? You know, I don't know what words to use. You know, it's like a frail person. What's he going to do? Like if somebody says short, frail, he goes, you know, he, he hasn't even got a physicality behind him. Where is he getting that strength from? And this is Iman. And this is why Omar was, you know, admired him. He's how did all that Iman fit into your body? It is related that Sayyidina Umar, who was still an unbeliever at the time, witnessed this brutal assault. And he was greatly moved and impressed with the courage of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu thus further embedding the truth into his own blessed heart. <laughs> so this is important. Umar didn't just you know, wake up and embrace Islam. There was a gradual process. So this was one significant thing he witnessed. Umar was the complete opposite. You know, he'd take a baller. So he's seeing somebody completely the opposite to him. Not from a strong tribe, somebody frail. Not even from the Quraysh. And, he, and he's greatly impressed. He didn't get involved in the beating. That, that's very significant. Why? Because he was changing. The proud unbelieving Quraysh were thus now being humbled by their mere slaves and shepherds. <laughs> the situation was now becoming truly unbearable for them. So think about that. You know, it's you know, you say in our language, Besti. <laughs> you know, what's going on here? Imagine somebody, what's this? He goes, Are you gonna allow this to happen? And people say, No, he goes, Are you gonna take that? <laughs> So he did it, and he did it for the reason, the great Ibn Mas'ud. So now, why did he suddenly decide to expose his Iman? And the response is, obviously, there's a time and a place, and he thought this was the most appropriate time. Mm. Also, his, his exposing his Iman was very similar to another Sahab, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. So what's interesting, Abu Dhar was the fifth or sixth person to embrace Islam, and Ibn Mas'ud was around the same. So that's the first important thing to highlight. Abu Dhar, he was also not from the Quraysh. He was from Banu Ghifar. This was a tribe that was known for banditry. People were fearful of them. He goes, don't mess with them. He goes, they'll mess you up. So for him embracing Islam, that's something even more strange. So when he came, to quote a long narration short, he goes to Makkah. He tries to find the Prophet Eventually, he, uh, either Abu Bakr or Ali takes him. And he listens to the Prophet and he takes the shahada. Immediately he says, O Messenger of Allah, allow me to declare this to the unbelieving Quraysh. So now think about that. He's not from the Quraysh. He's a stranger. Just the night before, he's hiding. He's not even going direct to the Prophet. Now he wants to go out. So the Prophet told him, you know, he tried to persuade him otherwise, but he, he was persistent. So the Prophet finally allowed him. So what happened? The next day, he goes to the Kaaba Sharif. He goes, oh, assembly of Quraysh, I have embraced Islam. And he, and he said the Shahada. Before he even finished the words, they all jumped him. And they were going to beat him to death. But Abbas, the Prophet's uncle, intervened. He goes, he's from the Ghifar tribe. If you kill him, he goes, your trade will be affected. And they left him. Then he goes back to the Prophet Abu Dhar. He goes, Ya Rasulullah, let me do it again tomorrow. So the Prophet says, you know, you've, you've exposed your Iman. And he begged him and he did it again the second day. 
They jumped him again. Abbas once again intervened, saved his life. All of this is recorded in Sayyid Bukhari and Muslim. So the question to pose to is this, how did they get such a mountainous level of Iman from day one? People, you know, if you with Muslims 50, 60, could they do this? So this shows that the Sahaba, they were on another level. So Abu Dhar was very similar to Ibn Mas'ud, but Ibn Mas'ud did it once. So the next section entitled, His Migration to Abyssinia. As hostilities grew between the two opposing camps, Rasulullah out of sympathy and mercy and other reasons, allowed some of his companions to migrate to the land of Abyssinia where they lived a just king. So now, just to add this, he was a shepherd and he, he obviously now he's lost that because once he's exposed his Iman, he's, so he's now got, literally, he's now with the Prophet. Thus in the fifth year of the prophethood, it is related with Uthman ibn Affan who paving the way, 12 men and 4 women made this first hijrah to Abyssinia. Refer to Ibn Ishaq ibn Hisham in his seerah, page 158 of the New English Translation, Tabri in his tarikh, 1-547 ibn Kathir seerah, volume 2, page 2 of the English Translation. So who were amongst these 16 souls? Amir al-Mu'mineen, Sayyidina Uthman, Sayyidina Mus'ab ibn Umar, uh, Sayyid al-Muslimin, Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, uh, the special disciple of the Prophet, Zubair, the ascetic, Uthman ibn Maz'un, Abu Salama, the martyr, and his wife, our mother, Sayyid Um Salama. So these were the elite of the elite who were migrating, radiyallahu ta'ala. There was only 16. Note, this should not be confused with the second hijrah to Abyssinia, which took place within a year or so later, in which now 102 noble souls migrated, 19 of whom were women. Referred to Ibn Sa'ad in his tabakat, 1-207, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Kathir Sida, volume 2, page 3 of the English translation. It was amongst these noble souls that Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud and his brother Utba Ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu had left amongst whom was also Ja'far ibn Abu Talib and his family. So this is important. The first migration to Abyssinia was a very secretive affair. There was only 16 or so souls. Within a year or even less than a year, the second migration took place and 102 companions migrated. It was in the second batch that you've got Ibn Mas'ud with his brother. So Ibn Mas'ud, he himself relates, Rasulullah sent us to Najashi, Rahmatullah, and we numbered about 80 men, amongst whom there were myself, Ja'far, Abdullah ibn Urfata, Uthman ibn Mas'ud, and Abu Musa. This is recorded in Ahmad in his Musnad, number 4400, Tabrani. Fat al-Bani, volume 7, page 130, Sahih. al in Majma al-Zawaid, volume 6, page 24. Ibn Katir Sida, volume 2, page 5, stated Sahih. Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 588 of the New English Translation. So Ibn Masood is giving you the details himself. He goes, we were around 80 men. And he mentioned some names. But don't forget, this was the second migration. The long narration goes on to relate. 
that after the unbelieving Quraysh had unsuccessfully sent two envoys to entice Negus to make the renegades, in inverted commas, return, and their presents were unceremoniously returned to them, the report says, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud thereupon quickly returned thereafter and thus had the unparalleled honor of also participating in the Battle of Badr. Recorded in Ahmed in his Musnad, number 4400, Tabarani, Fattal Volume 7, page 130, Sahih, Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid, Volume 6, page 24, Ibn Katir Sira, Volume 2, page 5, stated Sahih, Hayat al Volume 1, page 588 of the New English Translation. So this is important. You got the Blessed Sahaba migrating to Abyssinia. So the more famous ones, they returned after the Hijrah to Medina. Jafar, radiyallahu they returned seven years after the Hijrah. So they missed Badr, they missed Uhud, they missed Khandaq, Khaybar. They just coincided with that campaign. So now a person, when he goes into the campaigns with Rasulullah, whose name emerges, Abdullah ibn Masood. So a person who doesn't know the Sirah too well, he goes, how is he there? He's migrated to Abyssinia. And the response is, he returned quickly. Back to Rasulullah, and he himself said, I participated in the Battle of Badr. So he was in the second group that migrated with Jafar, who was the Amir at the time. Jafar remained. He quickly returned. Therefore, this is important to highlight. So now, just to briefly mention, how did the why were the unbelieving Quraysh so fearful? And the reason I asked that is because good riddance, they wanted them to leave. And the response was, they were now fearful that Islam will now make a stronghold in another place. They don't want that. So they actually were shooting themselves in the foot when they forced them to migrate. So who did they send? They sent the fox of the Arabs who wasn't a Muslim at the time, Amr ibn al-As, and another noble person. And they tried to reason with the Najashi. It failed. When it failed the first time, Amr ibn al-As, he didn't give up. He goes, I'm going to make their happiness quickly, you know, this, you know, leave them. He goes, I'm going to mention Jesus Christ, what they think of Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about this? How does Amr do? Amr is not a Muslim, and he knows so much about Islam. Then he comes the next day, and he goes, oh, honorable king, ask them about Jesus Christ. They say something horrific about him. So when Najashi calls uh, Jafar, he goes, what do you say about our Lord and Master? And then he said, I will say what was revealed to our messenger. And he read Surah Maryam. When he read Surah Maryam, Najashi and the priest, they, they all started to weep. He goes, there's no difference between our religions. And then Amr, he turns to Amr Najashi. He goes, even if you gave me the whole world full of wealth, I wouldn't return them to you. He goes, take your presence and leave. And then Amr left. With going back, telling that the mission had been unsuccessful, so they stayed there, the companions, honorably under that land. And this is a sign of prophethood. Why? Because Najashi was an honorable man. If he had turned out otherwise, then that proves that Rasulullah is fake. So, how did he know that? The Prophet goes, He's a just king, there will be no injustice done to you there. This is a sign of Nabut, right? So, again, obviously, Najashi himself embraced Islam. Uh, at, at the hands of Jafar so making a start in the next section the return of the migrants to Makkah 
after spending a few short and peaceful years in Abyssinia, a rumor suddenly arrived that the people of Makkah had all embraced Islam. So they're in Abyssinia, alhamdulillah, worshipping, you know, without any fear. And suddenly, a rumor emerges, Makkah's embraced Islam. This rumor spread due to a famous incident back in the mother city. In Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Nasa'i Abu Dawood ibn Katid, Sira, volume 2, page 37 of the English translation. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he relates, The Prophet recited Surah Al-Najm in Makkah and then prostrated in Salah. Then those there with him prostrated except for one old man who picked up a handful of dirt with, which he then raised to his forehead saying this is sufficient for me. Later I saw him killed as an unbeliever said Ibn Masood. <laughs> so let's look at this. So note how many narrations he narrates. So Ibn Masood said the Prophet has recited Surah Najm another early Surah revealed in Makkah and at the end of that blessed Surah there is a prostration. Everybody prostrated, look how interesting. I'm going to mention who prostrated. But this report in Bukhari and Muslim was everybody except one old man. But even he didn't completely bypass it. He, he picked some dirt up, put it on his head, he goes, that's sufficient for me. Ibn Masood then said something very interesting. He was later I saw him die as a kafir. <laughs> Meaning he was arrogant. <laughs> Who else prostrated? In Sayyid Bukhari, Ibn Kathir Sira, volume 2, page 37 of the English translation. Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi prostrated himself in salat, having recited Surah Al-Najm, together with all the Muslims, all the polytheists, men, jinn, all prostrated too. So now this is strange. Why would Abu Jahl prostrate? Why would Walid, you know, Khalid bin Walid's father prostrate? If he did prostrate. Why did Abu Lahab prostrate? Everybody, he said. So they didn't believe. The reason is, is because, obviously, who recites the Quran with more awe and veneration than the message? That Allah So when he was reciting, it moved them too much. And when he prostrated, you know, like you get people feeling ashamed because we should also do this. So one way to look at it is they've just felt ashamed because, you know, we should prostrate as well. So they all prostrate except for one man, which I'm going to mention who that is. But Ibn Abbas said the whole lot of them prostrated and the jinn. So look at the impact the Quran was having. Hafiz Ibn Kathir, he went on to clarify. In his Seerah, volume 2, page 37 of the English translation, the man who conveyed the news to Abyssinia, he had seen the polytheist prostrate along with Rasulullah. Thus he innocently but erroneously thought they had become Muslims. And thus no longer had a dispute with Rasulullah. The rumor then spread to Abyssinia. They returned back to Makkah and when they realized the rumor was false, some of them once again returned to Abyssinia while some stayed in Makkah. 
both of them are dos without blame and did the right thing said ibn kathir so this is recorded in ibn kathir seer volume 2 page 37 of the english translation this explains it. why did this so it wasn't a lie the person wasn't lying if you see everybody prostrating and then you leave let's say you think well the matter settled everybody's united the rumor got to abyssinia it was a correct statement that reached them when they returned obviously it was not true now what to do should they now proceed to makkah and stay with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or return some of them proceeded some of them returned ibn kathir said both are blameless because we don't find fault with the companions they both were correct those who went back and those who went to uh, to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and just to add this who were the souls that returned in ibn ishaq ibn kathir seer volume 2 page 37 of the new english translation ibn ishaq mentioned the following blessed souls who returned from abyssinia uthman ibn affan ruqayya abu hudayfa ibn utba sahla his wife bin suhail zubair ibn al-awwam mus'ab ibn umar abdul rahman ibn auf miqdad ibn amr abdullah ibn mas'ud abu salama his wife um salama radiyallahu ta'ala uthman ibn mas'ud his son as-sa'ib along with his two brothers qudama ibn mas'ud and abdullah ibn mas'ud abdullah ibn suhail ibn amr also returned but he was imprisoned until the battle of badr when he joined the muslims and fought on their side abu ubaida ibn al jarrah also returned they total 33 men may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with all of them amen so let's look at these names so who's returned uthman amir al mu'minin rasulullah's daughter his wife ruqayya radiyallahu abu hudayfa who was the chief son utba ibn rabia one of the seven who was cursed his son returned his wife who was suhail ibn amr's daughter sahla zubair one of the temple of his paradise mus'ab the great ambassador sayyid al-muslimin abdul rahman ibn auf miqdad the knight of islam ibn mas'ud right in the middle abu salama the martyr our mother um salama and then the great ascetic the first brother of the prophet uthman ibn mas'ud his son as-sa'ib his two brothers qudam ibn mas'ud abdullah ibn mas'ud who were the maternal uncles of umm al-mu'minin hafsa radiyallahu so hail's son returned abdullah and he was imprisoned how long was he imprisoned for so they returned he was imprisoned for a few years his own father imprisoned him but he managed to get to the battle of badr where he sided with the muslims and the amir of the ummah also returned note this also clearly proves that the initial emigrants had increased from the 15 mentioned earlier above this is why it's important to mention that if you go to the first report there's 15 where's 33 come from a person asked you that question because he's not mentioned the second migration and why are these other names coming from it's the second migration so ibn masud has returned However, as shown, alas, when they drew close to Makkah, they learned that the rumor was sadly false. Now, what to do? To proceed or to return? And we will continue from here tomorrow. 
So all I mentioned today was basically now Abdullah ibn Mas'ud finally exposing his Iman in the most memorable incident where he recited the Qur'an in his angelic voice to the unbelieving Quraysh around the Ka'ab. And then I mentioned that the Prophet now gave permission for the companions to migrate, mentioning the two migrations. And then I mentioned the return and why did the companions return because of the rumor. What was this rumor hopefully explaining why this took place? Are there any questions? Let us.